Welcome to this episode of CTU Speaks, Three Candidates Chicago Deserves. Homie, I was taught by a Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher, Chicago teacher. I learned to read and write from a Chicago teacher, so I'm inspired by the fight from my Chicago teachers. I'm your co-host, Jim Staros, and today I'm joined with... Tara Stamps. Hey, Tara, how's it going? It's going well. Thank you for having me back. I appreciate it. Um, I hope our listeners are not only just checking out what's happening at CTU Speaks, but also so much of what happens in the CTU space. That's exactly right. And, you know, this episode is really exciting. I mean, I'm not that I'm not excited for every episode, but this one in particular, I'm really excited about. We've got three fantastic guests who are running for political office coming up in February for municipal office. and. These are people who I know personally. I know personally they'll do a fantastic job, and they're the kinds of people we need in office. They're absolutely that. And and I'm honored to say that I was kind of like one of the front runners uh, when when we recognized that um, CTU had to start politicizing our fight because we just kept being met with bosses who were just inflexible and did not want to really partner with us. And uh, I'm so proud that we're kind of taking matters into our own hands and running people to the highest office uh, for the city and definitely adding more people to the Progressive Caucus. That's right. Now, you may not remember, but that was when I first met you when you were running for office way back then. I remember thinking like, wait, a teacher's running for office? What? And I'm like, (laughs) because I was like, that that sounded crazy to me at the time because I'm like, we're teachers. What are we doing? I don't remember exactly what it was that you said, but you said something like these are the exact kind of people that need to be in office, you know, people that can adapt to things that are going around and people who are connected to the community. And I'm like, damn, that is a good ass point. And it hasn't changed. Right. We're still the same kind of people. We're still the people we need in those spaces in order to move an agenda that's going to help all the residents of the city of Chicago. So I'm excited. And I know that the work that we do at CTU uh, has a far reaching impact in other spaces where we need to really give the cities back to working class people. And I think that's what this fight is about, making sure that the corporate interests and the one percenters don't get to just run the show in this city because it's enough for everyone. That's right. They get a vote just like everybody else, but the 99% get 99% of the vote and 99% of the say. And that's how it ought to be. And that's why we need people that are regular people that are going to be in office, smart people, passionate people, people who are driven, but people who know the communities they come from and not just people who are transplants to there or people who are just doing it just to get power in a particular political office. People who want to make a change and improve their communities. Absolutely. Each one of the uh, candidates that we're talking about today are raising their families right in the city of Chicago. Brandon lives right there in Austin. You know, it's practically my neighbor. Lori, you know, lives in the 30. I think is that 36 ward, the new Mm -hmm. 36 ward. Right. And many of them born and raised Chicagoans. Kids are, you know, attend Chicago public schools. They are definitely ready for this 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 work because they bring to this work um, so much lived experience about what it means to be a Chicagoan. That's right. And Waze Buani, he's up in the 50th Ward. And, you know, he talks about how, you know, his family's lived here his whole life and the struggles they went through and the difficulties they had, you know, when he was coming up and that his parents had to go through. And those are the personal kinds of stories that we need people in office to, to know that, to have felt that so they understand what the rest of us are going through. 
Yeah, you need people who are connected, <laughs> right? You need people who can talk about, you know, having to drive a particular way because there's speed traps all over this city that they lay for you, right? Because all of the uh, ridiculous austerity practices that go on in the city, the frustration of getting your child into a, you know, quote unquote, a quality school, right? When we should have quality schools in each in and every, every neighborhood, neighborhood, elementary. Exactly. And high school, you know, you need someone who understands what it means to have a food desert or a nutritional desert in their community. Oftentimes, so many of the people that occupy the spaces are so disconnected to uh, what everyday Chicagoans are going through to just try to survive this city. So many of us are not thriving in this city. We're just trying to survive this city. Oh, exactly. And I mean, these are people who understand what it's like to be over-policed and under-resourced people who understand the the risks of homelessness and how so many people are a paycheck or two or three away from that, or at least away from the fear of that. It's always in the back of people's minds that if this happens or that happens, what would go on with my family? What would my kids do? And, you know, people doubling up, oh, they'll stay with grandma and they'll stay with my cousin or my auntie. And, and it's great. People can support each other like that, but we shouldn't, in a city as rich as we are, in a country as rich as we are, that shouldn't have to be the norm. I always say I know why the one percenters do what they do. What I don't understand is those people that support that against their own interest. Right. And so I think one of the great divides is really the education, what people know and what they think they know and having people in place that can connect all of those dots. And I think that's what we do here so well. We connect the dots. And I know that um, these candidates will do the same thing on the fifth floor. It's the city we all deserve, right? So uh, we we talk about the schools we deserve, and this is just the next level of that, and that's creating, building, developing the city that we all deserve. Because, you know, I can't say this enough. There is enough for everyone to have what they need and get what they want. There is more than enough. So it's the travesty that we got to kind of scratch and claw uh, for that to happen. But what I love is that we're fit for the fight, you know, and and we develop warriors here at the Chicago Teacher Union and we will we will gladiate uh, for what is right. I like that. Gladiate. Yeah, you know, that's, that's a new word. word. I, like, I like gladiate. that word. Gladiate. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, we need some new words. There we go. See, look at that. Teachers are making up some new words. Gladiate. All right. So let now I am gladiate to announce our new guests that are going to be coming in and their interview coming up right now. All right. So we're here with our three wonderful guests today. We've got Moise Buani. He is a teacher on leave from North Grand. We've got Lori Torres-Witt, who is a elementary school teacher at Monroe, and Brandon Johnson, who is our current Cook County Commissioner. It's great to have everybody here. Like You guys are the uh, the power group that's going to be running for <laughs> office here in Chicago to kind of get us back on the right track, or back on the right track that sounds like we ever were on the right track, to get us on the right track. How about that? I wish it was back, but it doesn't seem to be that way. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Yes, I'm... You know, definitely excited and very thrilled and very, very much honored and humbled uh, to be um, in this moment alongside, you know, my colleagues, Louise and, and Lori, and, and really um, the thousands of members uh, that make up the Chicago Teachers Union uh, to be in the moment where we can actually see the type of transformation that we've been fighting for for some time. So I'm looking forward to the conversation today. Okay, so 
all three of you guys came to this point in your life through teaching, through education and CPS. So I was wondering, what was the thing you're sitting there one day at your desk or whatever, and you're like, you know what? I got to run for office. What made you do that? And what do you guys think makes teachers particularly well suited to working in an elected position? For a few years now, it has been an idea or a thought to run. Um, The question was, in which position made the most sense? And then in May, the 36th ward was drawn. And it is a beautiful eight-mile stretch that, um, as an elementary school teacher, I like to refer to as a teeter-totter. It has been my thought and my sentiment throughout this campaign so far that a teeter-totter doesn't work without the right balance. And so that is my intent, to be the balance and to be the connection that brings communities together. This eight-mile stretch has six different neighborhoods within it um, and is comprised of what were formerly six different wards. And so if anyone can do it, um, the experiences in the class, juggling the classroom, listening to our members in our buildings and beyond, and managing a household all at the same time um, has definitely prepared me for what I think is to come. Nice. Muez, what about you? What, what made you say you wanted to jump into this race? You know, Jim kind of prefaced it with like when like sitting at your desk or that realization, I think that realization hit in uh, that we were running the day I went on leave, which was about three weeks ago, because uh, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm running. Um, and, I, and I mean that with earnestness, because, um, you know, my journey to this was this. We have a community organization called the United Working Families of the 50th Ward, and we've been organizing uh, for a while. Shout out to Matt Ginsburg, Jayco and Myra Glassman, who are really the leaders of our um, of our of our group along with Rami Faraj, who's a teacher at Clinton Elementary. Um, and, you know, Rami, Matt, and Myra have been incredibly responsive to the things going on in this neighborhood. Uh, and then they came and they asked if I wanted to run. And I was like, absolutely not. Um, mainly because I got to see firsthand being involved in uh, Alderwoman Rosanna Rodriguez Sanchez's campaign. Uh, she's the alder of the 33rd Ward. Like, this is, it's a lot of work. And, you know, it, it takes a ton of community building. It takes a ton of... Um, a ton of, you know, just love and compassion and empathy and a willingness to deal with the barrage of attacks too. Um, but, you know, this didn't stop our group from being like, let's ask a second time and a third time. And then someone got, uh, someone got my mom's phone number. Um, and then I had this very long conversation with my mom and my mom, you know, went through things like about this neighborhood, how it, it does haunt my parents. Cause you know, this is an area we've been evicted from um, that there's a lot of hard and tough feelings but there's a lot of love. This is home. And so my mom's end point was, you got to do this. If you can improve anybody's life, if you can fight for working people, you have an obligation to do it. You know, that's how my journey was here. And as an educator, I think we all, you know, dealt with imposter syndrome in the classroom. And I think when we announced, I felt that too. Like, I was like, who am I? I'm just a person. I'm a school teacher. I, I lo- I'm a, as my brother described me, a goofball who loves kids, right? Like that's who I am. But those qualities and the work we do in the classroom, engaging families, students, working in a school community, dealing with unique risk and unique issues that our students have to work with every single day, I think that prepares us for this. 
And I think at the heart of all of this is this city's political system has made it inaccessible for working people. But I think, you know, if you're compassionate, you love people and you love Chicago and you and you want to build a city that loves its citizens, its young people, its elders back, you got the heart for this. And that was kind of the journey, um, you know, up every day, to be quite honest, is to remind yourself, you know, you deserve to be here. You belong here. And that we as a community, we can do this together. So um, if anything, all those qualities and that self-belief came from the classroom and the love of fellow educators and being in a union and having a community like this. That's a really good point. I think that, you know, it's it's all about our communities. And I, I like the way you phrased it, the love you feel within those communities, even when it's difficult. Um, you know, we love those communities back and they love us. And, and that's what motivates us to do what we do. Brandon, I know like you've been out of the classroom, but if you can think back though to that day, like what made you think that I got to do this? I don't know if it's, you know, one incident or, you know, a particular moment that I can point to um, as a middle school teacher um, that motivated me, you know, folks know as a middle school teacher, um, depending on when it's happening in that particular moment, you can be motivated to do a lot of different things. <laughs> I'm teaching middle school students, um, you know, but, you know, I actually believe that it's, you know, it's a series of things, right? It's just, the, it's the, you know, the conditions in which our students um, live in, you know, you know, our classrooms are microcosms of our neighborhoods and, you know, all that which is possible, you know, in our communities and how we try to carry that out in our classrooms, our political systems um, have um, rejected, you know, our hope to see, you know, you know, equity and justice, you know, where teachers, um, school clerks, the handful of nurses and social workers that we do have because the system has refused to invest um, in those full wraparound services, um, wake up every single day living in our communities and witnessing uh, firsthand of what neglect and disinvestment looks like. You know, I think the greatest motivation is the fact that as public employees, as, as educators, we see what's possible. You know, when we look into the faces of our young people and you see the hope in their eyes and the despair that's around them, you want to do something about that. And, you know, as much as we're able to influence the world in our classrooms, our natural desire, I believe, as educators is the one to fix it. But, but we're also, you know, provoked to organize, to pull people together, um, to, 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 to fix it together. And so I'm very much inspired and motivated by the, the hope of, of, of the city of Chicago. But I'm also motivated by the fact that you have had political structures that have been um, intentionally greedy, capturing the wealth of the city and concentrating it um, in a very isolated, secluded way where those who have get to have more and those of us who don't continue to lose. And so that type of provocation is what has placed this moment um, in a very peculiar moment in our in our history to actually do something about it. And so here we are doing something about it. I love that, doing something about it. Um, overall, the city government has not been working for most people. Like sometimes it's not really working at all, uh, especially for working class people. If you three and all of the other progressive candidates win, progressives will hold 30 to 40% of the council seats as well as the mayor's office. How do you uh, reimagine city government to be an agent of change instead of the obstacle it has traditionally been, specifically for poor and working class people? 
Well, I'm happy to start since uh, my fellow colleagues gave me the ability to, to to think through a little bit. You know, we get to throw down in a real way, you all. I mean, look, we don't have to negotiate against ourselves. We don't have to negotiate for safety. You know, for too often, if you look at the way public education in particular has been handled in this city, um, we've left an opportunity for public education and a good education to it being a chance. We need to start making things a guarantee. We should have guaranteed access to fully funded neighborhood schools, guaranteed access to health care, guaranteed access to affordability, guaranteed access to transportation. And I believe that um, our leadership um, as public employees in particular, but just working people, black, brown, white, Asian, young, old, multi-generational, uh, multicultural, um, that this movement is, is well positioned to bring about the type of dramatic change that the city needs because now we don't have to necessarily fight you know for approval um, from a handful of people we actually get to be a part of that approving process and that 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 is what excites me in this moment tara Lori, i think for a long time we've had to deal with leadership that failed in one aspect of leading and that's listening being able to potentially be part of a city council that can change the conversations to meet the needs of working families is exciting to me. I understand from my experience at the bargaining table that, you know, we we push and we push and we push until there's no more to get. And seeing that as a potential for what city council could be with folks who are more like-minded than not means that I could have a neighborhood park that actually has programming for my kids. It means that I could have improvements in city services. Like really, how long does it take to get a garbage can? Insanity. It means that we have the potential to restore mental health services in the city that were taken from us years ago. It means that our schools can be more than just make and take right? It it means it becomes the center of community again. That is what is most encouraging for me and what keeps me going, even on those days where I feel like nothing seems to be going quite right. And so, yeah, I'm encouraged by the potential of what this new city council can bring. You know, I'm I'm getting uh, a little choked up. One, you know, I want to be grateful for, you know, who I'm in the room with right now. We're a virtual room, like, I've got Lori and, I, and I've loved Lori forever. Lori's like, you know, one of the best teachers I've ever known and one of the best human beings. And Miss Stamps, I, I know your run and you were one of the first people I called when we embarked on this run to get advice. And then, you know, Jim, I, I love Jim. Jim uh, guided me through the policy fellowship, was my field rep, guided me through so many difficult <clears throat> moments as a young delegate. And then Brendan Johnson. I don't know what I can say about Brendan that can do justice to how much I love and how much like looking at like today, Brendan tweeted out a photo of him, like being a marshal, right? Like back in the day. And I was like, I remember this. I was there. You know, I get emotional about people like Brendan, like Mark Kaplan. Like those are people I want to grow up, you know? And I think the way Brendan and Lori talked about it and, and the idea of, you know, leaving people to the politics of chance. And I think during the pandemic, we saw that really at this level where people didn't know where to go. And and it's emotional to understand how many of your, Students didn't know what to do. How many of their families didn't know what to do? How many people we lost? At North Grand, they put a put up an ofrenda like the altar, and I saw like these so many people 
in our community that were lost during the pandemic or to gun violence. And I think about this a lot. And, I, and you know, I saw a picture of one of my students and I just was like, man, you know, because as much as I love this city, I also live in a city where people will do everything they can to villainize someone like Adam Toledo. And how many of our kids go through that villainization sometimes in our hallways or the policies that we generate around that. And this is a chance to really redo that. And, you know, I think about being around young people like my nephews and my niece. And, and you know, when they learn in third, fourth, fifth grade, they leave with these beliefs in their heart that someday they will, they will bring world peace. They will end houselessness. They will make sure everybody's fed. And somehow as adults in one of the richest cities in the world, Right, fabulously wealthy city, a city with more money than some nations. You know, people will say, like, no, I can't, you know, or people are afraid to show up and they are afraid to show up for a discussion, for a meeting, for a vote on Bring Chicago Home. Or that these same people sell public land for a $25,000 donation to their fledgling campaign. We'll call it what it is right? They give away land that would be home to people, that would give people stability, right? Just like one of my students said to me in my first weeks when I was teaching at Clemente, how can I do homework without a home? These are the things that this city has normalized, and we have this opportunity to reverse that, to think deeply about the fact that there's a number to call when you want the police to take somebody away, but there isn't a number for someone to call when there's no food at home or they don't have access to food. So to me and to people listening and and with all the love for Lori and Brandon, this is an election where we get to have a city of Chicago that we were promised, that we promise our young people in the classroom. Every single day we have that. So that's at stake. And that's what I'm thinking about um, every day, you know, every door, every neighbor, every single person that at the heart of what people are saying is that they really want something or a home, a place where love is paramount more than the ideas of separating people. You know, when I hear you guys talk, these are the kind of leaders that we want within our communities, people who are invested in our communities, people who care about our communities, people who shed tears for our communities, people who are part of those actual communities they're trying to lead. As we said, it, he was he was called to lead people. Were, and he's like, no, nah, it's not me. You know, these are not people who are seeking power for power's sake. These are people who are being called upon to rise up at a particular moment. You know, one of the things that I find really interesting about all three of your campaigns is how you guys are really building a movement that's going to lead city government rather than wanting to get into government to tell everybody else what they should be doing, right? It's the other way around. It's the people that are really informing this decision of you going forward. And I know in your guys' various campaigns, you've brought together teams of people, communities, parents, uh, students, other stakeholders in the community, United Working Families is a a good example as well. And maybe you can talk a little bit about how because we all see you guys as the face of whatever ward you're running for or running for mayor, but it's really about this team and this movement that's really kind of being built up that you guys are building up. Maybe you can talk a little bit about that. I know we sort of kind of led into that, but I'd like to hear about how that's working in all your different campaigns. The collaborative nature of educators 
is, you know, I think one of the most remarkable skills that we possess. And it's something that uh, government oftentimes it lacks. You know, as a as a middle school teacher working with, you know, the science teachers, working with the the math teacher, uh, Tara and I worked together. She was the writing teacher at that time. And just for the record, though, we don't necessarily tell people what to do. Um, as educators, we do make strong recommendations, though. <laughs> you know, but, uh, but 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 we we do have you know their just collaborative approach because we understand the best part of us it's one another, right? That we all bring like unique set of skills and and values to the conversation. And you know, I've experienced this as a as an educator when you have great discussions and think about as educators the perspective that people bring. I'll never forget Deshaun Brown, Tara, I don't know if you remember him. And we were having a conversation about lobbying. And sometimes when you're lobbying for good policy, um, sometimes petty politics uh, prevents people from actually um, engaging in what is right for people. And I, and I gave the example of like, perhaps, you know, back in the day, you know, you had two individuals that had beef with one another and maybe one kid, you know, constantly grew up with another person when they took, his milk all the time, you know, around lunchtime. And so now you have to meet each other and now you need them. Uh, but now that beef is now preventing you all from getting stuff done. I said to Sean, what would you do uh, to help like get this former classmate of yours that you had beef with, you took his milk all the time to, to see your position? He said, Mr. Johnson, I would just show up with a carton of milk. <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, he did it without flinching. I mean, it was like, he never even hesitated, right? The, the way he was able to understand like the whole process of just thinking outside the box. And so what I'm saying is that as educators, like we we experience our day-to-day with that collaborative approach. And that's what we're going to bring to the city government, right? This is what I've brought as a Cook County commissioner. There are 16 Cook County commissioners that I have to work with. There's a board president, there's a sheriff, there's a clerk of the circuit court, there's a chief judge, there's an assessor, there's a, the, you know, I mean, go on and on and on, right? In, in order to um, to pass a $9 billion budget, you have to work with people. And, you know, city of Chicago is one of the largest economies in the world. I mean, what enormous potential we have in this moment to distribute um, resources in a way to bring economic justice. And so you're going to need a team of people to do that. And the last thing that I'll say is the one thing that I believe that educators know best, that we recognize talent. I mean, think about how many young people we put in charge of certain divisions and dynamics in our classroom because we recognize their skill. Think about the amount of parents who come to us in some instances broken and traumatized themselves and we help empower them. That's the type of compassion, the collaborative nature and the competence that we're going to bring to city government. Isn't it going to be nice to actually have a government that's ran by competent people, educators? I'm excited about that. I love the idea that it's not just the competence, but it's the compassion. I think one of the things that really angered me the most um, during the pandemic is the uh, how hard we had to fight for compassion, essentially. So yes, I'm excited about the competence and I'm doubly excited about the compassion. But Brandon, what I want to ask you, and by the way, I was his mentor teacher. I wasn't just the teacher. Like I saved his scruff of his neck. No, I'm joking. Um, Brandon, what are you most excited about bringing from that commissioner space to uh, the fifth floor in the capacity of mayor? What are you most proud of uh, in terms of the work you've been able to do these past few years? You first of all, you know, Tara, she she ain't lying, y'all. I mean, she she's helped save my career. There were a few times where um, that whole classroom management thing, fifteen years ago when I first started teaching. 
Yeah, it didn't quite perfect that, I, I think, until like April <laughs> of that first year. Uh, but uh, Tara's classroom was right next to mine. And so, um, you know, she had plenty of opportunities to hear some of the, the louder discussions we would have. But, you know, I, you know, I think at the county level, one of the unique things that I believe that I bring to to the table is working um, in one of the areas that the county government is, is most responsible for. It's, you know, public safety and, and health care. I actually believe there's some real opportunities for the county and the city to collaborate um, in a more meaningful way, especially when it comes to healthcare. You know, reopening our mental health clinics is priority. I mean, that's the top priority um, for for my administration. And looking forward to working with Lori Moise to help get that done. But as much as it's important for us to recognize that we have to reopen our, our mental health clinics um, at the county level, I'm very proud that um, I opened up a health clinic in my district, and there are hundreds of thousands of people that are receiving care as a result of um, the, the, the clinic that's in the first district. Um, but also we have something called county care where there are hundreds of thousands of families that have access to health care as a result of our work. We expanded that 40,000 additional families during the pandemic actually received um, health care. I mean, could you imagine the city of Chicago and Cook County government working together to provide a basic human right? I'm really excited about that. I'm proud of the work that we've done. Uh, to expand healthcare, I think the second thing is housing. Um, you have the Cook County Housing Authority, you have the Chicago Housing Authority. You know, we talk a lot about affordability in this city, but we don't talk enough about public housing. You know, Tara, I mean, I know this is close to you, um, as you know, as as someone who is a product of Cabrini Green, as we say, Cabrini Green USA. I feel like it's like the second home that helped raise me. Uh, my cousins were raised there, both of them. My aunt was a teacher's assistant, CTU member. Uh, two of my cousins are, are, are CTU members. One we still talk to, even though she became an assistant principal. Um, <laughs> but, you know, this is a place where many families have found um, incredible security, right? And something that I believe that we can do better at, at the city level is providing more public housing for the residents of the city of Chicago. So I think that if we can figure out ways in which, which I know we can, collaborate on healthcare and housing, um, the work that we have done on the on the county level to expand that, um, I'm proud of that work. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for us to do something pretty transformative. I love that you said public and not affordable. I have found that I've been in a few, more than a few uh, community sessions. And what I hear is we are providing affordable housing. And of course, the question to me is affordable to whom? Uh, oftentimes, uh, when we're having this discussion just about what's possible. I hear imagine, I hear reimagine. And I hear um, we have this moment, right? And then a movement, lots of good language there. That's the writing teacher in me that loves that, sucks that stuff up. But how how do you see your race as a moment in this movement? And, and how do we bring others? What is the mechanism for bringing others into this movement? I, I'll take a crack at that one. I was about to say, because y'all have one more time before I start no. calling up, like, your hand raised, I'm calling on you. Middle no. school. Middle school. I draw on what this this ward looks like and all the different wards that it it neighbors and all the people who have worked on the northwest side of Chicago to build the movement that we are extending. It's important to recognize that the build has been happening for 10, 12 plus years all over the city. I'm fortunate enough to have had some dynamic folks lead the way that made it 
easier for me to finally say, yep, I'm, I think I'm ready. And I think this is now. We are the leaders we need. The leaders who understand the value of our experiences and the importance of being able to connect with folks regardless of where they are socioeconomically, by zip code, job. We are who we've been waiting for. And I have no doubt that with a Mayor Brandon Johnson and a team of folk who are ready to roll our sleeves up, because it's what we do every day anyway, um, for the sake of connecting a city back to what our current leadership likes to call a world-class city. World-class for whom? It's time it's that for us working families. Those supports and the movement that is being built, there's only forward from here. It's definitely a movement. Amen. Here, here. Muez. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this Toni Morrison quote around, you know, people put so much intelligence into focusing in on, you know, concentration in music and movie and media, but, you know, never listening to stories. And specifically, the comment comes down to this, that it's so hard to listen, or when you get through this process of listening, there's a piece of you that gets engaged. And that's crucial, right? Like what happens to a person when they listen to the story of another person and what it engages in them? Um, I live in the 50th Ward. You know, this is a neighborhood that has been a refuge for multiple communities, it was a refuge for Pakistanis and Indians, and we were part of that migration. And now it's a refuge for people from Burma who have left you know, genocidal conditions. It's a refuge for people from Syria, from Iraq, from Afghanistan. It is, you know, as, as a neighbor called it, the Ellis Island of Chicago. But in that same conversation, you know, this neighbor had told me that they'll vote for me, but they wanted me to know that they plan to move in March out of here. And you know, when I was listening as to why they're leaving, they mentioned it's been a refuge for us, but we haven't been able to make it a home. You know, Jim asked this question a few minutes ago, and I, and I tie back to it about the fact that when you bring this level of democracy to people, or when you engage people, when you create spaces for people, and you bring the, the lens of the movement, right? What does it look like to organize? What does it look like? Or what does justice look like in public? I think that's the greatest way for us not only to win, but also the greatest way to preserve the city and never give it back. Because I think one understanding that I have when I talk about small things like participatory budgeting or these aspirational dreams of having like a community center where we could host, you know, weddings and baby showers and it can be community baby showers, community weddings. What we want people to know is that all of this is theirs too. And that's stuff that terrifies the machine politics that we've been fighting almost forever, right? People who don't see you and I and our existence as something meaningful. And I think deeply that the movement, what it's given me and what it expands to what we talk about, and what we try to build here is it connects us emotionally, spiritually. It connects us in ways where like, you have to look at each other and you have to realize like we need each other. That the history of this neighborhood has been a history of people relying on each other. You know, it's, the reason I exist here is because my father was a cab driver and I had uncles from every single country in the world, it felt like, right? And they would cover for my father. They would check in on my father. And then my mom worked in a restaurant. She learned 
recipes from her friend who was from Trinidad and Tobago. And where else did this happen? Right. And it wasn't just like a, oh, a curiosity. It was more like, you know, she learned this recipe because it helped her save money and it helped her like really make a dollar stretch into five. And that compassion has been here forever because people believe in each other. I mean, that's a great point. I mean, the whole idea is a community by definition is communal. It's what we do together. One of the common threads I've seen is that you guys come from the communities you're trying to lead. You understand what the needs are of that community rather than some random person from outside or didn't grow up in that situation. Uh, Even if they had good intentions, they don't know what the community needs. Uh, The people from it do, Um, whether it's the healthcare, whether it's housing, whether it's, as you had mentioned, participatory budgeting, where we have faith in the people in the community to actually make decisions for their own community. I mean, how radical is that? We're going to let grownups make decisions about their own lives, right? The fact that that's even considered progressive is bizarre, right? That should just be normal. But, you know, when we're talking about your guys' campaigns and we're talking about this broader movement, I was hoping maybe you guys, we could just go around to each of you guys and ask, what is the one way your campaign would help kind of broaden this movement or focus the movement in on some of these issues regarding social justice in the schools or in the city and, and stuff like that? Look, I actually think that, that the broader movement has has already begun. I mean, think about where our movement was, you know, 12, 13 years ago, right before we took the, the historic strike in 2012, right? I mean, you had, you know, people blaming teachers for the existence of poverty and every um, type of traumatic uh, manifestation um, as a result of poverty, you know, laid at the feet of teachers. Um, and, you know, you, you had this characterization of, public employees who are greedy and um, self-serving. And it it turns out that not only were they wrong, um, they were talking about themselves, right? Where privatization schemes uh, were used to turn a profit, you know, at the expense of of, of our people, in particular working people, black and brown folks um, in the city of Chicago. And we brought the city of Chicago together, black, brown, white, Asian, young, old, um, to fight for an elected representative school board. We have a moratorium on school closures, maybe. You know, increase the, the minimum wage. Um, despite the failure of the progressive income tax, um, the reality is that 71, 72% of Chicagoans said that we need a more equitable tax structure, right? So I think we need to acknowledge the fact that there's a reason why educators are tired, <laughs> because we have literally been building democracy where democracy has been um, curtailed all over the world. We've actually expanded it. Um, and we're actually um, electing working people like Jeanette Taylor, Lakeisha Collins. Rosana in the 33rd Ward, and now you have this outbreak, if you will, of individuals who want to identify with progressive politics, right? But I think, Jim, to the last point, though, why is it that whenever you are advocating for poor people, and particularly for Black and brown children, that when you start demanding that children and families have guarantees, that that is deemed as radical? You know, one of the most dynamic things that I believe has ever been said by Dr. King, if the civil rights movement and the labor rights movement were to ever to collide, I'm paraphrasing, what enormous potential it would have. We are experiencing that potential right now. You know, when we were fighting for um, supports within our um, special education um, uh, programs within Chicago Public Schools, I was on Irving Park Road in Portage Park, marching down Irving Park Road with parents on the north side of Chicago, right? But I've also marched 
Dow Madison with, with our sister Tara, right? So I, I believe that our campaigns are are possible because of that broad movement, you know, sort of outside of sort of the, the, the typical space where you would expect people to advocate. People get to see themselves in this moment. And our power is is predicated, quite frankly, on our ability to, to continue to expand that. Lori, what about you? With what, what, just one thing you think of that you can, your campaign can use to kind of advance this broader movement. I think being able to have conversations with folks on two different ends, essentially, of the northwest side. The demographics of these eight miles are about forty-seven percent Latino and forty-eight percent white, and the remainder is African American which is a very small portion. But yeah, it is my chance to connect folks, to be able to have them understand that ultimately, regardless of where we live, we want the same things. It allows for people to start to see ourselves as more alike than we are different. The reality of seeing families who are clamoring for schools that make sense for their communities. The reality of having neighbors who will stop and talk and say and all the things that you've been saying sound a little different, but it's the same message. And to be able to hear from folks on one end of this ward speak to, there are some things we don't lack. And so we understand that there's need elsewhere in this ward that's going to have to be taken care of. Um, I was kind of taken aback by that. I didn't expect that. But at the same time, looking at the way this ward is drawn, um, it is very much a progressive ward in its thinking and in its voting history. And so what can we do to move this or keep this movement going is being able to help our voters see our connectivity, being able to connect and to listen is how we continue to move this forward. Yeah. Yeah. I, man, I love Westridge. I love this neighborhood so much. You know, you know, I, when I was, when 9-11 happened, I was in high school and I remember how much we were pretty much afraid of our beliefs. Right. And I get to walk down a neighborhood where you have visibly Muslim community members, you know, it's a hijab or you got your, you know, your dad's best friend wearing a shawar kameez rolling through the neighborhood, very Pakistani thing. And then you also have your Orthodox neighbors. You also have a growing Latina population. And you also have like when you go to Mosaic Elementary, which is Boone, you see like the United Nations on the basketball court. And I love it, you know. And with the beautiful community you have here, I think so much about the intersections of needs. And I, and I think about how West Ridge can be a neighborhood that adds to the movement when it comes to disability justice. And I remember being here years ago, working with newcomers, but then also realizing like the layers of work that needed to be done with like the young people who had learning disabilities, getting over the stigma of those and then advocating for those in school, right? Like so many intersections that West Ridge is a neighborhood where Clinton Elementary has 40 plus languages, right? In, in, in that school, how can this neighborhood be a powerhouse in language and accessibility justice? How can it push again that reminder that this is like the most welcoming neighborhood in Chicago, right? We have Venezuelan uh, refugees, we have people here 
in the Y in our old library, like finding residents and you had neighbors every day on Facebook being like, how can we help? How can we help? How can we help? There's so much love here. And there's so many intersections of work from, you know, community members in this area who have been fighting uh, for disability, for language, but also the idea of cultural, like, presence, right? Arts, young people having programs, and also fighting, especially during uh, the protest around racial justice, like fighting for their neighbors. So to me, activating a neighborhood like Westridge, putting in the work, and uplifting so many amazing organizers and activists in this area, you know, a Westridge in the movement just makes the movement more incredible. And it makes us more powerful as a city. So that's how I love my neighborhood. And I dream so much about what this neighborhood could mean uh, as we continue for a movement of Chicago that loves its people back, loves its young folks, loves itself. Thank you guys so much. Like, I can't even tell you how excited I was when I knew we were going to have all three of you on at the same time. You know, I am so inspired and I love all you guys so much. When do we get a chance to talk to people who are going to run one of the most powerful cities in the country and they're talking specifics about how we can help people in the communities and the neighborhoods, not just the general talking points. A lot of people do like, oh, we're going to improve taxes. Like, what the hell does that mean? But we're going to fix this, you know, and way of saying, how can we help? How can we help? What can we do? That's what this is all about, how we can build each other up and how we can be the city we're supposed to be for everybody, not just for those few people who have gotten some of the benefits in the past. I can't thank you guys enough for everything you're doing. I know how much sacrifice it is. Uh, In the show notes, we're going to put up links to all the stuff. So if you want to know how we can help, we'll be able to help out all these guys in their different campaigns. And uh, I really hope to have you guys back in the very near future. And we can call you Alder People and Mayor when we introduce you next. Thank you guys so much for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks so much. Love y'all. So thanks for listening to another episode of CTU Speaks, where we got to hear from three quality teachers who are going to be three quality political operatives here in the city of Chicago, giving us what we need. Again, thank you so much for joining us. And please, if you want to support, if you want to volunteer, if you want to learn a little bit more about who these candidates are, Please make sure that you click the link and you support the work. That's right. The links will be here in the show notes. um, So check them out. There's going to be events all around the city for each of these candidates. So please make sure you check out the events of the people you'd like to support. Um, Of course, they always need money to be able to run successful campaigns. So there'll be links to contributions as well. I know Tara and I have contributed some to their campaigns already. And we're probably going to be doing some more trying to get these people Probably going to be doing some more. Because that's what we need. We need these people in office to make sure that the rights that we need and all our students and children deserve are protected. Also, don't feel shy about contacting us at CTU Speaks at ctulocal1.org. Or you can also give us a call at 312-467-8888. And thank you all for listening so much. And thanks, Tara, for being the guest host yet again. Thank you for having me. I look forward to the next session of CTU Speaks. Talk to you guys later. Thanks. Bye. Out. Out.